0: Cowpats and Bee Stings. Or it should never happen to a missionary, but it did. By Vic Edwards. The title Cowpats and Bee Stings originated in a conversation with a traveling companion during a trip to Israel. After doing Jerusalem, our bus took us south via Beersheba to Mishpah Ramon in the Sinai desert. For days we had been fed on a steady diet of doubt. This might have been the site of the tomb, but on the other hand it could have been somewhere else. Jesus probably carried his cross along this street, or it could be a medieval tradition. Now we looked over the ruddy serrated hills of the wilderness of Sin. Through the crisp clear desert air, we watched the grazing ibex, and occasionally the flurry of a flock of quail. This was the terrain through which Moses had led the children of Israel on their way to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It was this description of Canaan that sparked off a discussion. I was sharing a room with a rosy-faced, rotund Irishman who, as many of his race, "'combined the gifts of fluency and imagination. "'While lying on our bed, studying the ceiling, "'we got to considering this description of the land. "'Now we've seen it, Ian. "'Did you get the impression of a land flowing with milk and honey?' "'After some chin-rubbing, to evoke the genie of inspiration, "'Ian said, "'Sure, no. "'Well, not exactly. "'We saw plenty of cows, "'and didn't they tell us that the Negev "'had earned the title of the Wild East?' And if all that yoghurt and cheese is anything to go by, they've certainly got some good milkers. But I reckon that Israeli farmers are in the same predicament as their mates in Ireland. If they want the cow juice, they have to get up at some unearthly hour in the morning and squeeze it out of them. Agreed. Now, what about the honey bit? Did we see rivers of it? Mm, No, indeed, conceded Ian. But we did see a lot of beehives, and there must be plenty of it around. Could you imagine now? Dad comes home with a jar of the sticky stuff. Hallelujah! Look what the law gave us! The poor guy has a temporary impediment due to the bad reaction of the bees, who are not about to donate their honey without a fight. The light of profound inspiration lit up in Ian's eyes. Well, I never thought of it that way before. The land of milk and honey, or should it be the land of cowpats and bee stings? I'm sorry to disillusion any aspiring missionary, or for that matter, anyone who desires to serve God. But as we obey and advance in obedience to his call, we are going to put our foot in it, and we are going to get stung. Well, enjoying the milk and the honey... The typical missionary book not only fails to present the truth, warts and all, but gives the impression that the complexion of mission is without spot or wrinkle, which is far from the truth. This narrative is mainly about the land that God called us to, the province of Formosa, Argentina. It is a series of pictures of the milk and honey of a first-term missionary's experience, and also of the cowpats and bee stings. Happy pilgrimage! Did you call? The rash of upturned faces on the Buenos Aires quayside revealed no familiar smile. Other passengers were shouting and waving frantically as they recognised friends and relatives. In the shorebound Millie, some displayed the blasé indifference of the loner. But that was not I. After three weeks at sea, I longed for somebody to wave to. This was not the glorious launch of a missionary career that I had envisioned. Now, I wouldn't say that I was called to be a missionary. It was more like being grabbed by the scruff of the neck and frog-marched into it. After nine years at sea in the Merchant Navy as a navigating officer, I had more than ample exposure to mission fields and missionaries. Besides which, I had become a Christian with the help of a budding missionary, Ken Bennett. When I found myself in the little country church on the Wirral, it was not of my planning. Two months earlier, whilst in the port of Jacksonville in Florida, and the day after my 19th birthday, I had received a telegram from my stepfather with the terse, shattering message, ''Sorry to tell you, your mother passed away today, Pop.'' Initially, I was overwhelmed by grief. I walked about the back streets of Jacksonville, weeping openly. But such is the resilience of youth, that by the time we had returned to England, my grief had turned into a sense of freedom and independence. Without my mother's restraining influence, I was now my own man. I could do whatever took my fancy, without fear of restraint or censure. Out of a sense of duty, I had to visit various aunts and cousins, to share mutual condolences, but one visit I didn't relish was to a sector of the family that I was assured had been overcome by religious mania, demonstrated by their habit of standing in public places and shouting about Jesus, but there was no help for it, so on Sunday I responded to an invitation to have lunch with Aunt Lil and her family. Now, I might have found fault with her theology, if I hadn't been totally ignorant on the subject, but I could not criticize her culinary ability. My plate was piled high with succulent roast beef, surrounded by the traditional array of vegetables and Yorkshire pudding, all bathed in a cascade of gravy. They talked religion, but it was easier to reach my stomach than appeal to my soul. The afternoon was occupied with a ritual visit to my mother's grave, And back to Auntie Lil's for tea. This was none of your genteel finely cut sandwiches with wafer thin slices of anemic sponge cake washed down with weak tea, pies and cakes giving off the alluring perfume of oven freshness competed with a magnificent fruit trifle covered in whipped cream and adorned with multicolored dolly mixtures. Second helpings of everything were insisted upon. To a teenager home from the sea, this was a temptation to gluttony that was irresistible. After tea, the family, Uncle Jim, Cousin Lillian, and my aunt, prepared to go to church. Having enjoyed stuffing myself at their table, I could hardly refuse the invitation to accompany them to the service. But I was confident that, having run the gauntlet over the years of a whole variety of naval padres and port missionaries, I could survive yet another brush with religion unscathed. That was my fatal or vital mistake. Instead of the cleric droning pious irrelevancies, I encountered three young men from a local Bible college who spoke of a mind-blowing, life-changing, and vital experience. At the end of the service, an invitation was made to anybody who would like to receive Christ as their Savior, and I found myself doing a solo walk towards the platform. I was too ignorant and confused to pray, but God in Christ came into my life and did a renovation job that proved to be not fatal, but life-giving. Years later, I learned that Ken, the student preacher, and my counsellor, had prayed before setting out on this engagement at the village church. Lord, if you want me to go to Nigeria, give me one soul tonight. I was that one, and Ken spent over 21 years as a missionary in Nigeria. Later, I asked Ken, how will I know if God is calling me to be a missionary. Well, he replied, after a long pause for thought, when you feel that there is nothing else worth living for, then you may count that as a call. I breathed a sigh of relief. My ambition was to be a ship's captain, howbeit in the best Christian tradition. If I ever doubted my lofty and distinguished maritime calling, I was quick to push negative thoughts to the back of my mind. I was gradually climbing the ladder of promotion, and I didn't intend a mission revision to get in my way. It seemed that the Lord had to organize an international crisis and a string of miracles before he could get my attention. Please contact us via the Flame website if you want to obtain a copy of Vic Edwards' book, Cowpats and Bee Stings. Well, it really did happen to a missionary. Cowpats and Bee Stings. Or it should never happen to a missionary. But it did, by Vic Edwards.